Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Faith here with a welcome toast. It was P. Morton Shand who said, Breakfast, an essentially unsociable meal, is an appropriate time to choose for disinheriting one's natural heirs. Please feel free to consume this show podcast in small bites or eat the whole thing. This show is an encore presentation of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. Hope you enjoy this second helping. We're just dancing. We're not starting this. It is great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, the place to have a good time. We're going to be talking about the wild world of donuts. There's a lot going on there in our area and around the world. We're going to talk with Carla Bartolucci about einkorn. This is an ancient wheat that is said to be tolerated by gluten-sensitive people. And so if you have a pizza restaurant, stay in there for this. My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributor Chris Prosperi, our chief cocktail contributor Anthony Desario. As I mentioned, special guest Carla Bartolucci. Thank you so much, all of you. Glad to see you. Uh, let's get to donuts right away. This is donuts. just too fun to resist. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, so here we go. There is this wild thing going on with donuts, and people uh, have decided to express themselves in the most amazing ways with donuts. So I've been cruising through all over the Internet, checking out what people are doing all over the world with donuts. And I've been seeing what's going on in our region with donuts. So let's get into this. Yeah, there's some places in Connecticut that make their own donuts, little diners, little restaurants. And we don't mean that they're bringing in dough no, with a machine. No. Some places will do that. We're talking about places that are making donuts yeah. themselves from yeah. scratch. And I have one in my area in Woodbury, Dottie's Diner. And it's a little hole in the wall, and I love going there. And the donuts are warm when you get them if you go early, and oh, my God. I agree with you, Chris. That's on my list, too. This is in Woodbury. This is a Jane and Michael Stern, Road Food People. This is a pick of theirs, and they make at that diner a terrific cake donut. The key there is to get there in the morning because (laughs) – if you around yeah. noontime no, 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 decide yeah, you're yeah, going to wander yeah. over, if Hot there donut. are any donuts oh. left, when they're fresh there, they are so good. I, I think one of the best in the state. I, yeah. Right? When they're just coming out, oh my God. Maybe some of the best in the country yeah. as a cake donut goes. Yeah. There's yeah. a big debate about yeah. what you are they, like. Are they with. normally fried? Like, are they in, like, like yeah. certain places you go, sure. like, they're like a little more deep fried and they kind of yeah, weigh a little fried. heavier. And yeah. So, Anthony DeSirio, you one of your favorites is no longer around, yes, but why? Yeah, I, I don't know why. I wish I did. It was Dandy Donuts in Guilford. My favorite was called the Tiger Tail. And the Tiger Tail was where you have, you know, your vanilla crawler, your chocolate crawler. They would take the extras and twist them together so you'd have half chocolate and half vanilla nice. and it looked like a Tiger Tail. 
things. Yeah, I, I went through a few of those. I was like, talking like one no. a day, easy, easy. Uh-oh. It was really tough not to like, oh, there's two in the case left today. Listen, it, we'd love to hear from you on Facebook. Would you tell us if you've got a favorite donut place, whether it's here or when you're traveling, you never miss this spot. We'd like to know because we're going to tell you about some, some things that are going on at donut places around the United States. It's pretty wild, as Larry David likes to say. Pretty, pretty wild. So on Facebook, Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, please tell us about where your favorite donuts are, right here in Connecticut, but also around the region and around the country. And let's get a conversation going about this. Okay, you ready for this? First of all, there's a place in Dallas called Hypnotic Donuts. They sell what they believe is the world's spiciest donut. It's called <laughs> Devil's <laughs> Death Dance. It is a stuffed with slices donut. of jalapeno, serrano, and habanero peppers. And then it's topped with this incendiary ghost pepper icing. Ouch. So that you must be afraid. Yeah, I maybe dunk that in some hot chocolate. Mm, that's interesting because we talked about this. Yes, where the, you bring the pepper, heat, to yeah, the the heat to the chocolate, Mexican style. This list is on our website, by the way, foodschmooze.org. Everything on the show. There is a place <laughs> called Psycho Donuts. <laughs> In California, and this was smart. They teamed up with a movie club. You go to the movies with the club, and then they have their donuts ah, for you, so you cool. eat oh, cool. their donuts. Well, they make memorable donuts, is what I will say to you. There's one that they make. It's called the Dead Elvis. Nice. It's filled with custard and then topped with peanut butter, sliced bananas, yeah. bacon, yeah. and jelly. Yeah. They also make a tequila-centric margarita donut, and that cream inside that donut is laced with tequila nice. and then topped with <laughs> strawberry icing and flecks of margarita salt. I, I think they need the address to the studio so we yeah. can uh, taste one of those. There's, of course, New York City's donut plant on the Lower East Side. That has a lot of fans. I'm not as knocked out as many people are by the glaze that they have, but, you know, maybe I'm the odd one. Um, It's very weighty. There's one there that I haven't tried that's a bestseller, and it's called the Tres Leches Cake. Oh, See, I like Tres Leches. I love Tres Leches. So what's the difference between a cake donut and a regular donut? Is it the batter? Yeah, sure. I have no idea what's in there that makes one rise and be light and airy and the other one cakey. I thought you would know. No, no, no. I'm not a donut aficionado. Your father. Yeah, he would know. But I want to know about the square donuts. Have you had those? So tell us. This is New Haven. Yeah, this is New Haven. Orange side on Temple. And they make square donuts in a bunch of varieties. Must come out of a square mold and then they fry it up. And it's gotten some good reviews. There's some I know people that love them. And again, you have to go early when they're fresh. That's the key. So if you're on your way to LAX airport or coming back from there, there is a place and you can tell where it is because the sign is so high in the sky that no matter where you are, once you leave the airport, you can see it. And it's called Randy's. Oh, oh yes, yeah. You See? I've seen the sign. Seen Isn't the that sign? the one in the mo- in the Hangover movie where they... Is it? I think so. Is it, it might be. So there... <laughs> <laughs> People are especially nuts about the buttermilk crunch. If you have a favorite donut place, tell us right now on Facebook. Faith Middleton Food Schmooze is where you'll find us. How about, are you a cream-filled or a jelly-filled? I'm a glazed donut You're a glazed donut, so nothing on the inside. You just like the stuff on top. When I was a kid, I liked jelly donuts, as many kids do. But at this stage in my life, I'm still a glazed (laughs) donut fan or chocolate-covered. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or chocolate-chocolate-covered. 
<laughs> is that your thing? Yeah. Okay. All right. So somebody has created a recipe for an Oreo-filled donut. I'm telling you, the crazy things are going on with donuts. This is almost as if if I have the thought it's going to be good. And I think to myself, not necessarily, but the person at this site, this is a bite it site, is so excited about this Oreo filled donut. So we just want to tell you that it's posted <laughs> at foodschmoose.org. What about the cronut? Oh, we're, we're coming to the cronut? Am, am I going cronut. too fast? Yeah, cronuts. No, this is so Dominique Ansel yeah. in New York invented the cronut, yep. and now people have taken off with yeah, that. Duncan and we're going to get to that. I think has one now. Can you imagine? Yeah. Okay, so we should explain yeah. what the cronut yeah. is. So it is a kind of donut and croissant mixed together. Hybrid, yes. Hybrid, <laughs> yes. So remember this sort of nasty trend where you would coat your teeth in gold instead of getting a regular filling? <laughs> and then, you know, the grill yeah, would grill. be completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who knows? I was curious to see if those people who think that that is the coolest thing you can do were showing up at the Manila Social Club in Brooklyn because the chef there has been making a $100 donut. He would fill the donut with Cristal cream, okay. and then he would cover the outside in edible 24-karat gold. gold. Sure. Oh, wow. He has done that and was both praised and criticized for that donut. You won't see it on the, donut. On yeah. the menu. <laughs> <laughs> so you see what I'm saying about what's happening? It's getting crazy. Yeah, it is. There is, Chris, to answer your question, there's a place in New Milford, New Jersey, you were asking about the cronut. They've decided that they could take the Ansel cronut a step further. Glaze Donuts in New Milford is known for its calzonut. Oh, my. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) They have merged the donut with the calzone. It's a yeast crescent-shaped donut that's filled with fresh mozzarella, then dipped in a cinnamon honey syrup. Wow, so a sweet, savory donut, huh? You know, I don't really know... What's, what to say? Was it recently up at the Big E or somewhere? I saw someone was making like burgers with donuts, donuts? Yeah, using, the do- using the donuts yeah, as the bread I've and seen, the sandwich. I think it was the Big E. I'm a traditionalist. I do like the glazed. I do like the stuffed ones, you know, with either the cream or the jelly. But like the spicy donut and the ham yeah, donut. Well, it, and but the, see, no, this just, is... just, just send me down to New Orleans and have some beignets. Oh, um, yeah. See, and that's a donut. That's, that is a donut. That is a donut. I think this one belongs in Vegas. It's Voodoo Donut, and they're based in Oregon, and a whistle blows every so often, and when the whistle blows, it means it's time to get married and eat donuts. People seriously do this. There are people on the staff at Voodoo who are trained ministers. You know, they've gotten the online certification, I guess, and they can actually marry you. And the donuts are shaped like little voodoo dolls, too. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, do they have donut rings? And I think... can go all out. This is really... People have a problem with same-sex marriage when... People are getting married? People are getting married. (laughs) In a donut shop. um, In a donut... (laughs) What? I guess we have to add Krispy Kreme in here, don't we? To. There was a time in the wedding business that Krispy Kreme would deliver to us wedding cake donuts. And what it was was a donut tower 
made with fresh Krispy Kreme donuts. At and that was the wedding. Yeah, and that was uh, not just at my restaurant, all over the state in Connecticut here because we had the big Krispy Kreme on uh, yes. Yes, uh, Milford. And on Route 1 on in Milford one. on yeah, the Post but, Road. Yeah, but there was a big one. And then one up... there was one at the casino. Yeah, I'm yeah. surrounded by them up yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a big trend for a little while that people getting married had donut cakes. And that's still going on it's from still my going on. Yeah. in-depth research. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Were you eating donuts while you were researching? No. <laughs> Okay, so for, in terms of Connecticut, you might agree on Facebook that the Whitney Donut and Sandwich Shop on Whitney Avenue in Hamden makes a jelly donut that is just oozing with beautiful jam. It's as light as a feather at Whitney Donuts. That's terrific. Our friends at Sever Magazine, who were recently with us, selected Neil's Donuts in Wallingford some time ago as among the best 50 donut spots in America. Wow. A lot of people love Neal's. The blueberry crumb and the raspberry jelly are favorites there. They make more than 30 varieties daily. There's even a chart online about the peak ordering time at Neal's. So 9 o'clock seems to be the peak. Flanders Donuts in East Lyme, not a fancy place, but they have a loyal following. And I just want to put in a vote for... Cider donuts that oh, are yeah. made from yes. scratch yeah. at some of these farm markets. Even Stu Leonard's has yeah. them in the fall. Are they made from scratch yeah, or are they made from, made from no, a mix? From scratch. That they don't yeah. bring in the dough no. and the mix. No, they they make them from real. scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm going to throw in in a couple of weeks. My favorite is the Zapoli, the Italian donut. Yes. It should oh, be coming delicious. up pretty soon. Filled I've done with horrible, horrible things with Really? <laughs> I, I, ate, I ate 14 in one sitting once a few you years did. ago. Yeah, I can get you references. You could references. be a contestant was... on one of those shows that I can't well, Is there a donut eating contest? We should look that up. And like I the think hot dog eating contest? We need to have a donut trail in Connecticut. There we go. Another this trail. Another thing yeah. we're going to start. Okay. Uh, Here we go. I cannot wait to get to this. Anthony, I want you to make us a cocktail. And then we are going to Carla Bartolucci, who has put out a cookbook called Einkorn. And these are recipes for nature's original wheat. This is the most ancient grain that we know of, the most ancient form of wheat. And it is said to be tolerated by, you know, some people who are gluten sensitive. And so we're very interested in this. We have a big crowd of listeners who are gluten sensitive. And when we discover things like this, we want to pass this on. We've just been eating things made from this einkorn to taste what it's like. It is so delicious. Pizza restaurants do not serve <laughs> the bad, bad gluten-free <laughs> dough that you are serving that is like a brick. You've got to find out about this company in Connecticut. They're bringing it to us from Italy where they've saved this einkorn wheat from extinction and they're making it and bringing it here. And you can buy this uh, wheat here as a flower. We're going to tell you all about this. That's coming up. First, let's go to cocktails. Okay. We're going to do cocktails with alcohol. With alcohol. And <laughs> tell you about this new trend, the booze-free happy hour. I love that. This is taking off yeah. in New York City. It yeah. sells out all over. And we'll tell you why in just a bit. Okay. Let's start with the alcohol. Anthony okay. DeSerio, our chief cocktail maker. I called this the Autobahn because we're using a Belgian-style unfiltered wheat beer. We're all about wheat today, so I figured let's do wheat. And we're also talking about these new cocktail or happy hours. So this is also a low alcohol by volume cocktail because we're going to just use a little bit of gin and do kind of like a take on a Collins. So, so um, Anthony, you're telling me that low alcohol by volume. Yes. 
is really taking off. You're seeing more and more and more of it. And, you know, the more articles we read online and, you know, my friends that run and own cocktail bars in Manhattan and around the state, a lot of people are asking for more low alcohol. Yeah, you you want to go out and you want to have a good time, but you still want to be able to be sober, have a good conversation, wind down, stay warm, be with friends. Not be sick the next day. And not be sick the next day, no hangover. And they're also watching your calories too. So it's also a way of drinking healthier as well. Okay, so okay. this is you're calling this the autobahn, the as in the the highway. As in the highway. So <laughs> okay, uh, we have this online. By the way, the yep. recipe for this, and this is a beer based cocktail with gin. Yeah, with gin. Well, gin is also you know a wheat base. So this is also something that is taking off. Europeans have been doing this for a long time. Sure. Soda cocktails and yep. beer cocktails. Yeah, and beer cocktails. So we're just going to do an ounce of gin. I have a London dry gin. I didn't want to do anything that's really... Okay, I, have, that I, I have a beef eater. Okay, into the glass so did it one goes. ounce of beef eater. Or any gin you or like. Or any gin. I like the London dry for something like this, not like a tangeray where it's like really juniper forward because that's not going to mix well with So you want a more neutral. Yeah, a little, as neutral as possible. You could use a citrus vodka too if you like. Okay. We're going to do two ounces of our friends over here in Connecticut at Ripe. This is their uh, lemon sour mix. So this it's is just... a Connecticut-based company yeah. that does uh, mixes for bars and for people who have bars at home. Yeah. And it's in your package store. These are pretty pure. It's all fresh-squeezed juices with agave nectar as a sweetener, and they flash pasteurize it cold to kill all the bacteria. And once you open it, it stays in your refrigerator for a good 45 days at least. So the gin is in the glass. The gin's in the glass. We have the, the, the sour juice. mix, so it's a uh, lemon and agave mixed together. Okay. And we're just going to top this uh, off here comes with the beer. So the, this is the Hefeweizen or an unfiltered Belgian style wheat beer. You've mentioned on a previous episode about the shandy. So this is kind of a yeah. shandy with a spike to it. Okay. Did this begin, Anthony, because people would stand at a bar and drink a beer and then have a shot with shot it? Shot in a beer. Yep, shot in a beer. Uh, that always seemed pretty hardcore to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. And or, so now we're just openly pouring the liquor straight right. into the or beer. Yeah, just go right drop in. Drop the shot glass in. Oh, any type of a, they call it a bomb. A bomb. Or Jaeger bomb. Boiler, it was the Boilermaker boiler maker. Region, yeah, originally because yeah. the Boilermakers drank that. Yeah. So it's really, um, you get that unfiltered wheat beer forward uh, and you get that lemon that you drop in, just a little bit of a spike to it. It is spiky. It, it's summery. The question is whether we like the taste of alcohol inside beer. And so I do right. like the shandy that we talked about yeah. before, and so I get this. The shandy was invented, you told me. Yes, yes. Because women were not allowed to have spirits. Correct. At the bar. Um, and they weren't allowed uh, full really? pints. Well, you heard the phrase, mind your P's and Q's. Now, that originally was marked on the board as you were sitting down in an old pub where it's like, mind your pints and quarts, keeping an eye on how much you have drank. So what they would do as you got a little more inebriated, they would say, okay, well, you're going to get half a pint. And that would be like almost a slander, like for me to you, hey, hey, half pint. Uh, uh, That's where they kind of got that from. I I remember that from like Little House on the Prairie, they called her half pint. But yes, the women weren't originally allowed in bars at all. Yeah. And then when they finally were, they weren't allowed to have full pints. So they would yeah. say, well, let's give them the lemon sour on top of it. And hence, that's where the shandy was supposedly come from. One, cool. of, one of the many stories. Well, people then tasted it and said, this is really yeah, quite yeah, good. this isn't so bad. So yeah. let's, let's keep this. And that has remained as a classic cocktail. Yeah. All right. So we'll take a break. And then on the other side, we're going to tell you about who is showing up in New York 
for these booze-free happy hours. Uh, more mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. podcast for you, meaning you'll never miss a drop of pleasure. You just sign up for it once at our site, and we'll automatically send you our show every week so you can listen on your schedule. And you can discover our delicious curated food wine events, cocktail recommendations. We love talking with you, so stop by often and say hi. We're always online at foodschmooze.org. Lots and lots of food, wine, and cocktail recommendations there. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. And we are with our chief cocktail contributor, Anthony Desario, and our special guest, Carla Bartolucci, coming up in just a bit. Here it is. Here's the story on happy hour without the booze. There is a place in New York in the Flatiron District called Noya House. There was a story in the Times about this. They're doing this urban retreat series, and they have meditation. It's called Shine, the series is. And it's billed as an inspirational, alcohol-free evening. It's selling out like crazy. They have food. They have no alcohol cocktails. The lighting, they try for this in California, too. In L.A., this is a big trend. They try and get the vibe right in the place so it doesn't feel weird. Sometimes they will also offer, even though the menus are pretty vegan-oriented, they will also offer meat to people so that, you know, saying, we're not trying to boss you about what you should do. There's one in Soho that's called the Juice Crawl, based around cocktails that are made with natural juices, and it's part of something called the Clean Fun Network. People are going to find romantic partners there, looking for relationships, saying it's such a relief because... It's not that, you know, the alcohol isn't fun, but it can give you a skewed feeling of how much fun you're having or how much fun the other person is. And so this is an attempt to really have real conversation with people. I talked to my kid in D.C., and she loves happy hours, mostly to just meet people and hang out and talk about the day's politics. But she doesn't like to drink. And that age group, the 22-year-olds, seem like they're not drinking a lot at these happy hours, and they're just going to hang out and really just meet and talk. So I guess the question is, is alcohol a necessary part of that? I don't think so. A lot of people are showing up, they're giving it a try and saying this is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need alcohol to have a good time. That's our cocktail contributor talking. That's coming from him. But you make great non-alcoholic cocktails. I've had them from you. Yes, it's a matter of 
mixing things to according to what people would like to taste. You know, it's just like being a chef. I don't have to put alcohol in every cocktail. We were just mentioning low ABV cocktails. So, so you can still alcohol go out by volume. and have, yes, alcohol by volume, you know, less percentage. And you're not drinking 101 proof bourbon old fashions, but, you know, maybe you want like a little Aperol spritz or even older classic white wine spritzer. But there are a lot of people out there. I've been behind bars for 20 years. I've seen the trends. You know, I've seen people going from really sweet drinks to now the millennials with the high alcohol contents, old fashions, Manhattans coming back on the rise. But you're also seeing a lot of us professional bartenders and all the friends of my colleagues going for a healthier, cleaner living, doing yoga, eating fresh foods and organic foods and going on cleanses. Instead of drinking every day, I have to drink almost every day. It's like testing new cocktails and but just this past January, everybody did like a clean on January where they didn't drink at all. Yeah. It was a huge movement where people just, I'm not drinking. I'm going to just completely clean my system out. And you and I talked about bartenders who do this, right? Yeah, that- it's a healthy way to do it. But you're still you know, going into these juice bars or uh, you know, drinking healthy. Uh, yeah. You've asked me, That's a, let's do some things with some fresh carrots and beets and things like that. Yeah, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. You just need that warm environment. You need people with the same mentality as you. You know, you come in here just to meet people and, and socialize. You have uh, something in your hand and you're taking a sip. It's kind of like a little mood breaker. It's like, let me just have a pause here. And this just popped into my head. I just came back from the spa and you've been there, Rancho La Puerta, and there's no alcohol served really on the property. And they just built a juice bar. And it's funny because as you're talking about this, I didn't even think about it. At 3 o'clock, we all met at the juice bar. But we made a point of saying at lunch, like, oh, yeah, after this class or that class, we'll meet at the bar at 3. Ah. (laughs) And we met at the juice bar at 3 o'clock, and we would talk and, you know, have little nauseous. It was our happy hour. That's nice. Even, like, when I go away on vacation and there's, like, an all-inclusive or you go down to the buffet and they have, like, five or six of these fresh juices flowing – of course, I'm there. I like. I want a little mango. I want to do a little orange. I want to do a little strawberry. I still do my mixology, but there's just it's a recipe. It's a recipe, and it's you know it tastes good and it's fun. All right, so um, we just want to let you know you can look this up online and find out that there are these places all over. You want to look up happy hour without booze, and you'll yeah. see all these. Juice crawls and social occasions. We think it's great. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Okay. This is a great idea, what we're just about to talk about. First, I want to welcome the co-founder of the Jovial Foods and BioNature brands. You probably see those in a lot of your uh, markets. This book is called Einkorn, E-I-N-K-O-R-N. We have everything about this on our website at foodschmooze.org. And you might say, what is Einkorn? And we're going to explain this to you because there's something pretty exciting here. This ancient kind of wheat is said to be tolerated by some gluten-sensitive people. We're going to hear all about that. We just ate using the Einkorn flour. Chris made a New York-style pizza. It was fantastic. If you have a pizza restaurant right now and you were serving that old school stuff for gluten-sensitive people that you can't even cut with a steak knife, I've certainly been with gluten-sensitive people and had tried to eat this, and it's impossible. So let's get into this. Carla Bartolucci, 
Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. It is so great to have you here. I'm a um, a secret fan of yours because so many people are gluten sensitive now that you have to be careful. You just can't put out pasta for people as casually as you once did. And despite this nonsense about people making this up, this is a real thing for people. Something has been going on with modern wheat, and people are finding out that when they cut the wheat out, they feel better in many, many ways. And the story you're about to hear is one of those stories. This is something that we didn't know about, this einkorn, but your jovial brand pasta Mm -hmm. is the best gluten-free pasta I've ever had. And when I serve it, I serve it pretty exclusively at my house. I don't say a word to anybody because there will be various people at the table and I know who have, they're not celiac, but they have gluten sensitivity. So I just, my go-to pasta, I have to take the gluten sensitive people aside and say, it's okay for you. (laughs) It's such a beautiful, beautiful pasta. I love those Tuscan tomatoes in a Mm -hmm. jar that you bring in from Italy. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. I just made a beautiful minestrone with your tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. There's a lot that goes into all of the the behind-the-scenes to make the products unique. Yeah. So so let's talk about your cookbook that has come Mm -hmm. out, Einkorn. Tell us about this wheat. It's delicious as a flavor. And the pizza crust that Chris made, it was kind of like, it's not that pliable pizza dough. You know, that soft, bendy. It's more cracker-like, lavash, like, lavash-like, right? It's something when you start using this flour, you have to learn the different things that it has and the different ways it reacts to different ingredients. Well, that's why this right? cookbook yeah, explains it's... how to use, mm-hmm. how to make everything that you formerly couldn't eat if yeah. you're gluten-sensitive. And let's explain about this because sure. this is wheat. It is and weak. so if you're gluten sensitive, you think, uh, uh, I can't have that. Right. How did this come to be? It's important to understand the difference between gluten sensitivity and gluten intolerance. And gluten intolerance means you have a diagnosis of celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease. You can't eat einkorn. You can't eat einkorn. Or no. any wheat, Or right? any gluten. Yeah. No. I mean, there you are... can lose your life over it. It's that serious. Yeah, it but there are it. actually, you know, many more people that have a condition that they've named gluten sensitivity which means you don't have an autoimmune disease, but you have the same reaction to gluten in wheat. Yes, and there are... It makes you feel bad, right? It doesn't kill you, but it No, I mean, I guess if you think of gluten as glue, you know, you feel like you're eating something that you can't digest. Yes. You feel bloated, and and it can lead to many different problems. It can go as far as depression and um, moodiness, sadness, brain fog. It can do a lot. And it's a condition that my daughter was diagnosed with when she was just seven. She started at a really young age when she began to eat to show symptoms of some type of food allergy. So a pediatrician told us to take out dairy, to take out eggs, and she just progressively got worse. Um, And her symptoms were very varied, but they got worse and worse until when she turned seven, her hair began to fall out. All from a gluten intolerance. Yes. It was debilitating. She looked very, very sick. Yes. Um, And she had mood swings that were not... She did. She's a great kid, bright, really well-behaved, but once in a while she would have a temper tantrum. You could not control her. It just seemed strange to me. It wasn't the normal. No. All kids have temper tantrums, and it wasn't that way, It was very extreme for her. For her, yes. And I just felt like it was related to food somehow. 
and you tried to figure it out. And how does that lead to einkorn? When I got the diagnosis of gluten sensitivity, I said to the doctor, I know that means she must have to eat gluten-free, but is there some type of spelt or something that she could eat? He said, I don't think so. So um, my husband and I have been working in the food industry for a long, long time. We just thought maybe, you know, there's some really old wheat we've never heard of that has never been tampered with. That now, she now meanwhile, eat. you're living in Italy. We are. Yeah. yeah. So you, you have a home in Connecticut mm-hmm. and you have a farm mm-hmm. in Italy, mm-hmm. in Modena. Mm-hmm. So you're in Italy and you start researching. Mm-hmm. We started to research, and we actually got in touch with a foundation that saved heirloom and ancient types of seeds and species of chickens. And um, when we talked to the woman there, she said, oh, you know, you should look into einkorn. And it was just a phone conversation, and we had never ever said, you know, what is einkorn? <laughs> so my husband started to do some research, and he actually found another group of researchers who had been studying einkorn for 12 years at that point after it had been discovered in the stomach and on the fur coat of Ozzy, Otzi, Ertzi, the Osman, the Iceman, the man that was frozen in the Oh, yeah, yeah, that they found, sure. If you go to the museum, the einkorn grains were frozen on his fur coat, and they look brand new. And once they discovered that, the European Union gave some funding to kind of figure out where people had been growing it, what happened to it, if there was anything left of it, and... um, We basically met this research group, and the man told us all about it and told us that it had 30% more protein and abundance of B vitamins, that it tasted really good, that you could actually make bread and pasta with it, but that it didn't have certain types of gluten in it that seemed to bother people with with gluten sensitivities. So so at this point, I want to say, because I've read the story, and I know that it was almost extinct. See, that was what I was going to ask. Yes. So did you find it grown somewhere? So this research group collected about a 1,000 packets of seeds from seed banks all over the world. Wow. And they began to replenish them. And then they had a small group of farmers that were replenishing these seeds. And I said, what are you going to do with this stuff? And they said, (laughs) we don't have any commercial interest in anything. We're just researchers. And I said, well... I I think I can grow it and sell it in the United States, and I think people would be really interested in it. So we want to know, you Mm -hmm. know, so far you've got a daughter. In our story, you've got a daughter who's very, very sick. Mm -hmm. You find out that she's highly Mm gluten-sensitive. You and your husband, Rodolfo, he's Italian. You start researching wheat, of all things, the very thing that this child is not supposed to have, trying to see, is there a wheat Is this about a manipulation of wheat? So on the other side of this break we're about to take, you're going to hear what happens when this little kid is given this ancient wheat that was in the ice man's stomach, okay? It was really quite remarkable, this story. So stay with us. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week and to find our terrific food, wine, cocktail, restaurant, hot topics and recommendations, streaming videos and recipes. We're online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. I think I finally found my hallelujah. 
This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, and the Hamptons. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken, and to hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Talk with us on Facebook, too. We're having a great donut conversation, Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I'm with Anthony Desario and Chris Prosperi of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. Our special guest is Carla Bartolucci. I am her fan because she has the Jovial Food Company, which is based in Franklin, Connecticut. All of their products are made in Italy. This book has just come out by Carla called Einkorn, E-I-N as in Nancy, K-O-R-N. This is the original wheat. We no longer eat this kind of wheat. It's not been available to us. In fact, Einkorn was in the Iceman's stomach, a few grains. Carla met people in Italy who were studying this wheat. The theory was the problem with gluten sensitivity is coming from something we have done in the modern wheat production industry to jack up the gluten so high that more and more people cannot tolerate it. And if they are immune sensitive, are having all kinds of problems and many illnesses attached to this. That's the theory. Carla, your daughter is diagnosed with being gluten sensitive. She's very, very sick at this point. You start researching, finding out that there's this ancient wheat around. Did you give her some of this? What happened to yes, her? Yes, I actually was able to find some flour. There's some places in France and northern Italy that actually grow a few acres here and there of vine corn. And I began to experiment it with, with it at home. We took out all of the wheat from her diet, and she had gluten-free foods and einkorn. In a matter, I would say, of about two months her symptoms began to disappear completely. And these are symptoms that she had had for five years. She always had a stuffed nose. She had very large tonsils. She had asthma. I didn't know asthma could be caused by gluten. Crazy, right? But she never had an asthma attack ever again. You said in the book that you would speak to her about chewing with her mouth open and that it wasn't polite, and you'd only realized later that when all of her symptoms disappear and her hair grows back, by the way, that she was chewing normally again because she had had her mouth open because she couldn't breathe. Breathe through her wow. nose. Wow. It was wow. completely plugged. Isn't yes. this amazing? So how many years, though? Now she's 15. So wow. she has a huge amount of curly, long brown hair. She's beautiful. It's a picture of her in the book. Julia is her name, right? Julia. It, she can tolerate einkorn. Mm-hmm. Again, this is not for celiacs, mm-hmm. full-blown celiac disease. But some people who are gluten-sensitive, can eat this einkorn flour. So Jovial has brought this to the United States. Yes, we have. Your company is in Connecticut. You're making it in Italy Mm -hmm. and bringing it here. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. That was the best part of it, to find out that it actually tasted good. Because usually when you have to eliminate a food... You make a sacrifice. But I can tell you that my children would go to school with their little yellow bread, and they would come home and said, I didn't have any snack because everybody wants to eat my yellow bread. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. The the Mm -hmm. flour has a unique flavor that tastes amazing. It it tastes good because nutrients have flavor. Yeah, true. 
And, so it, and, and it has an abundance of B vitamins and tocotrienols, lutein, a lot of things like that. And you can taste that in the flavor. It's yeah. like a freshly picked tomato yeah. from your garden or one from the supermarket. That's the difference. Yeah. Carla and I have, have an interest in trying to figure out why so many gluten-free products really don't taste good. And so it's more the psychology that you're getting to have this or that is what we're told by people who are gluten sensitive. But it really doesn't taste so great. No, it's and not. There's a lot of bad But what you bread. have done it's with expensive this, too. you have figured yeah. this out. Yes. Einkorn you, actually costs a little bit less. And it has so many more nutrients. So yeah. even when you compare it to modern wheat, you're getting 30% more protein and 15% less carbohydrates. And because it absorbs less water, you actually use about 20% less flour when you cook with it. So really, on a nutrition standpoint, you're not getting those empty carbs that make oh, you wow. feel hungry right away. It really feels sustaining. Of course, the big question is, this worked for your daughter who was diagnosed and all of her problems went away. Did it affect anybody else in the family? I think my daughter inherited the gluten sensitivity from my husband. And we noticed a tremendous change and just in his personality. He's, he's much happier. I think it affected his mood. He tended There's to be no one question. of those person yeah. that might be very forgetful or in his own zone. And um, once we took out the wheat and we all eat einkorn or gluten-free, you could really tell the difference. And do you hear from, I want to be so careful because, I mean, does everyone who is gluten-sensitive are they able to tolerate einkorn? We've heard many, many great stories. We have a huge customer base that's growing really rapidly because just so many people feel terrible after they eat regular. They feel bloated or tired. They might not even have a real chronic symptom. They just don't feel good. And they all report that after they eat einkorn, they don't feel that way. They don't feel heavy. They don't feel bloated. They just feel good. And they yeah. feel fuller longer. They find like they're eating less. And, um, and then they say, I can bake beautiful bread too. It's amazing. Yes. Let's get to this cookbook because Carla made using einkorn flour. First of all, your einkorn products that Jovial brand is bringing in is the flour and anything else? We have that... flour. We make cookies. We make crackers. And we have pasta. All so made from einkorn. All made from organic einkorn. It's we also a... have whole wheat flour and the actual wheat berries. So we've posted online at our site, foodschmooze.org, a list of places. But again, it's always best to call ahead first and see if the particular thing you're looking for is there. The book about how to use the einkorn flour to make all these things is called Einkorn. And uh, our guest is the author Carla Bartolucci, who is co-founder of Jovial Foods based in Franklin, Connecticut. All their products from Italy, including now these einkorn products. You made us the savory antipasto quick bread, which is filled with pecorino romano cheese, a little white wine, some manchego. You could put in some salami or ham, sliced green olives, and the einkorn flour, a little dried oregano, and some eggs. Yeah. It was <laughs> just the slices. Lunch. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was very. So it was surprisingly. I didn't expect it to be as moist as it was. Yes. And really again, it delicious. has that flavor from the einkorn, even though it had all those other ingredients. You really do taste that flour. And it's, you like do. I said before, it's an amazing flavor. For the cookbook, I chose to keep everything really simple because 
you don't really need all of the vanilla extract mm -hmm. and tons of cinnamon. It just tastes good on its own, and I wanted people to really learn to love the flavor of it. How would you describe the flavor of it? Is it? I think it's kind of milky a little bit. It's sweet, but also a little bit nutty. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I got the nuttiness. Mm -hmm. I, me too. Yeah. You've tasted the all-purpose flour, which yeah. is an 80% extraction, meaning we remove 20% of the outer part of the grain. But we also sell the whole grain flour, and that's really where you say, wow, this is good. Because compared to regular wheat, it doesn't taste gritty. Not everything that is more is better. So einkorn actually has less fiber than modern wheat. And so when you bake with it, you don't get that dry, pretty flavor. It just tastes kind of sweet and nutty, and the whole grain is very delicious, too. Mm. So you tell in the book how to make a brown bread and even a dairy-free sandwich loaf. You made us one of your boules of sourdough mm -hmm. that is so gorgeous and so delicious. You know how gluten-free bread is kind of weird? If you hadn't told me, I wouldn't have known. I just think this is a beautiful sourdough bread. Yeah. It's just a little different to work with. So if you take the einkorn flour and you take any old recipe and you substitute it, it could taste much denser and heavier. And so I had to experiment to figure out the right ratios to make, like the antipasto bread we made, to make it feel lighter. Because in nature, it's got a lot of protein, so it can bake up denser. And so we had so many questions from our consumers about, oh my God, I made bread and it didn't come out good. And we didn't want people to have that experience with einkorn, and that's how the cookbook came along. Yeah. So there's whole grain einkorn pancakes it tastes we, we really, really good. probably wouldn't need like a lot of butter or anything. There's a recipe for olive oil and wine cookies. There's a dairy-free coconut pound cake. And so the idea with the dairy-free here is... Most people who are allergic to gluten also have a dairy intolerance. Just because dairy is hard for everybody to digest. So once you have an intolerance, many things become difficult to digest. You, so. you made a tart for us mm -hmm. with the sour cherry jam that was so delicious. It's just a very simple, almost like an apple pie crust, but you add a little egg to it and some lemon zest. Mm. And it's what I did in the cookbook was try to give people those go-to recipes that they really wanted, you know, blueberry muffins, ginger cookies, chocolate chip, but I added some Italian things that I've learned um, from my life in Italy. So we have a couple recipes online, the, the um, Neapolitan pizza margarita that Chris just whipped up for us. It was so good. Now, it is different from the traditional pizza dough that we know, which is soft and uh, a little floppy. This was firmer and a little more toward the cracker style, but not in any weird sense. No, it was, it I would happily, great. happily have that anytime. So, Chris, when you were making it as a dough, you said the feeling of the dough surprised you. Yeah, it absorbs water differently, and it absorbs less water. It kneads a little differently, I mm -hmm. think. And when it rises, it rises a little differently. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're aware of what's going on, once we got it to the second rise and we rolled it out, it was just like rolling out any kind of dough. Yeah, it's just important yeah. not to add more flour. Yeah. 
because it's very sticky. So you mm-hmm. think it's too wet. So you want to make it seem like a regular bread dough, but you should never do that nope. because then it's too dry. Yeah, yeah. So I just <laughs> took flour and put it on my hands mm-hmm. and on the board right. when I rolled it out a little extra and it came out fine. And one of them I grilled. It's an amazing dough to grill mm-hmm. because you really get that nuttiness out of it. And I made a triple batch. So in my refrigerator, I literally have like 20 of these doughs already baked off. Oh. And I'm going, to use them, I'm going to use them on the menu as just like a cracker or a flatbread on an appetizer yeah. this weekend. That's great. Restaurants, you really have to check mm-hmm. out Einkorn. Gluten intolerance in my restaurant and in all restaurants oh, is yeah. every single day. Okay, so there's a recipe in here for your focaccia, mm-hmm. and I know you're particularly proud of that. Oh, I yeah. love focaccia, so I can't wait to try this. I'm not a baker, but this I'm making. Okay. Uh, you talk about how to make scones. The scones are really delicious. That's probably the best scone you'll ever taste. You know what was the best? I'll be bold and say that oh, because cream, it's really oh, good. Cream. Really? Yeah. Tell me about the cream puff you made. It was so mm-hmm. good. That was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible. Out of this flour, never mind that it's this it was just one of the best cream balls I think well, I've ever had. you know, I mean, that's my product. And my husband and I went through so much to be able to grow that grain. I mean, the first year that we planted it, it rained every single day. I don't think I slept for six oh. months. Oh. <laughs> and so it wasn't like you just find seeds and then you plant them and all of a sudden here comes einkorn because no one knew how to grow it. Yeah. It's very hard to grow. We had really difficult years. It took a few years off of my life. So when I did the cookbook, I really wanted everybody to have a great experience. So I was very neurotic about testing the recipes a million times so that people would make things and it would actually come out better than when they had tried with regular wheat. I mean, I want people to really understand that you can make everything with einkorn, but it can even be better than regular wheat. Agreed. Just and so and you, you did that today. I, mean, I am. I'm just blown away by this. I really am. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. This is really something. Yeah, and yeah. now einkorn has been saved from extinction. You're growing it organically mm-hmm. in Italy at your facility. I mean, I really felt like it was the American spirit that could bring Einkorn back. It was the American person who could believe in something, you know, new, something different. And so although we we base our production and our farming in Italy, everything starts here. And then it kind of expands. Agreed. It was a gift to my family because I really love good food. It's my life. And I didn't want my daughter to feel like she was missing out. People who have food intolerances or allergies can still eat great or even better. Thank you, Carla Bartolucci. Thank you so much, author of Einkorn. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3, Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. Join the conversation with us. We're always up for a good time online at foodschmooze.org. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little party in your life, we're here and online all the time at foodschmooze.org. And of course, also on Facebook at Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. See you there.